that you're here. We're in the middle of this series where the Apostle Paul has encouraged us to stand, to stand firm, to stand your ground. There's a pretty contemporary story about a young lady who really stood her ground. You probably remember over the last couple of years as all the evidence has come out about the Michigan State doctor and athletic trainer, Larry Nasser. In the long run, he was convicted of sexually assaulting over 150 young women, most of them gymnasts. He was sentenced to 175 years in prison. The final word at his sentencing hearing was given to Rachel Danholder. And she stood before Nasser and before the court, and she said these words. Throughout this process, I have clung to a quote by C.S. Lewis, where he says, quotation from C.S. Lewis, My argument against God was that the universe seems to be cruel and unjust. But how did I get the idea of unjust and just? How does a man call a line crooked unless he first has an idea of a straight line? What was I comparing the universe to when I called it unjust? And then Rachel begins to speak. Larry, I can call what you did evil and wicked because it was. And I know... It was evil and wicked because the straight line exists. The straight line is not measured based on your perception or anyone else's perception. And this means I can speak the truth about my views without minimization. And I call it evil because I know what goodness is. And that's why I pity you. Because when a person loses the ability to define good and evil, when they cannot define evil, they can no longer define and enjoy what is truly good. I love what that young woman said. She is able to condemn that behavior because there's such a thing as right and wrong, good and evil. And Paul's saying to us as we are being equipped to stand for God, those are so important. Look back at our passage, Ephesians 6 verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. What's he saying there? The two first pieces of armor is what he's telling us to put on. And and let me put it this way. First armor is the belt of truth. It's that big buckle, that big belt that gives strength to our core where the other armaments can be hung from. He says the first thing, if you're going to live a good life, is you need to have truth. And then he says, today, what I want you to have is righteousness. And when you have truth and righteousness, it will give you a godly heart. You see, what is truth? Truth is that unchanging eternal standard. If you're taking notes, there's a line there. That's that unchanging eternal standard. That's where it all starts. That's why we have so much trouble today. Only 20% of Americans believe morally there's any truth that's absolute. And sadly enough, even among church-going Christians, barely over 50% believe there are moral truths that are unchanging. Paul says if you're going to stand, you've got to have those moral truths to stand on. So, so that's, those, that's the standard. As the young lady would put, that's the straight line. But then Paul's going to challenge today is that we need to live a righteous life. Truth is the straight line righteousness is me living the truth. Taking notes, that's your blank. It's living the truth. 
is taking God's standard and aligning my life to what God has said. And here's what the apostle's saying. When you do this, it protects your heart. It protects your heart. Go back to that, that slide right before that. You've got truth plus righteousness equal a godly heart. Now, when Paul's talking about a heart, he's not talking about this pump in your body. He's not even talking about what you and I normally define as a heart as simply emotion. The heart in biblical days was the center of yourself. It it involved the will, the mind, and the emotion. And Paul understands if your heart is damaged, you are destroyed. If your physical heart stops pumping, you die. If your spiritual heart stops pumping, you die. Because that's where life flows from. That's why the wisest man who ever lived said in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Above all else, did you hear that? Pay attention, pay attention. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So here's what Paul's saying. You need to live in truth. You got to live it out in righteousness. This can protect the most important part of who you are, the center of your mind, emotions, and will, your heart. Because listen to me, guys, unrighteousness destroys the heart. Now, as we talk about this, we've got, God's got this perfect standard. He wants us to live this life. He said, when we do, it, it protects this heart. Now, here's what we're all tempted to do. We're, we're tempted to lower the standard, right? You ever had one of those basketball goals where you can put it up and you can put it down? And you lower, you know, six feet. And, man, you can slam dunk. You can hit any shot you want to, man. You feel, you know, you ever seen the guy, you know, who lowers it to five feet and slams it and thinks he's Michael Jordan or LeBron James, you know? Uh, God's God's standard does not, it does not lower. And and, and what Paul's saying here is when, when you live unrighteous, it's not just about your outer behavior. It's actually about what it does to your heart. I mean, if you went back over to Ephesians 4, 18, he talks about a hard heart. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. The book of Acts talks about when you continue in bad behavior, your heart becomes calloused. And then if you want to see how this happens with an unrighteous heart, go with me to Romans chapter 1 just for a moment. And just listen to how Paul says this happens. Again, an unrighteous heart destroys, an unrighteous life destroys the heart. It's like, um, it's like if, you, if you leave trash in your house, okay, or you leave food on the counter, what does it invite? Roaches, ants, I mean, you just leave that. It, it, it invites those roaches to come in. And before long, man, you've got an absolute mess on your hand because you, you just left it, it trashed. And you guys, when it comes to unrighteous life, when you, when you live with unrighteousness, you invite demonic forces. It, it, it's like those roaches. They probably look at each other one day and say, hey, there's food out. Let's go get it. And, and the demonic forces, when, when they see me give my life over to unrighteous behavior, they go, he has opened the door. For me to go in and work on his heart. 
Look at Romans chapter 1. Pretty good detail, starting in verse 20. First of all, he talks about truth. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We said last week, one of the ways God reveals truth is through creation. He said, man's without excuse to look at this incredible creation and think it happened by happenstance. And then he talks about some people who, despite the revelation of that truth, are living unrighteously. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of their mortal God for the images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. These guys have got into all kinds of trash. Their hearts are beginning to be hard. They're denying the truth of God. Look at verse 24, scary verse, scary verse. Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the grading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. What's he saying here? When you don't live in line with truth, it does something to your heart. It may start slow, it may start sure, but your heart gets harder and harder and harder. You, you know when you've done unrighteous behavior and the first time you do it, you, you feel guilty. You think, I shouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have done that. And then you give into it again, and you give into it again. And before long, you know, months later you're giving in and you have no guilty conscience. Before long, Paul says, your heart is so hard, you don't care about the truth of God. And here's what God says. God says, if that's where you want to go. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to honor your choice that you are wanting to rebel against me. I love you, but in the long run, if you're giving yourself over to these things, there comes a point where God says, you have reached a point where I give you over to the things that you are chasing after. So as unrighteousness destroys the heart, righteousness protects the heart. You see, guys, do, doing the right thing, you see, what is righteousness? Righteousness is living in line with the truth. Righteousness is the opposite of wrongness. Listen, guys, the things God tells you about your behavior, they're more than just about your behavior. They're about what goes on inside you. You see, like we talked about last week, we live in a culture where what I do and don't do is always determined by what I feel. And guys, if, if you give yourself to, to, over to what you feel, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And, and that's why it's so important we have this standard of truth that would lead to righteousness. Because I may feel like flying off the handle and getting angry at my wife. And God says, no, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I may feel like bitterness about the person who did me wrong and feel I'm justified to be bitter. And God says, you need to forgive them the way I have forgiven you. I may feel like I'm not worth anything and I can't accomplish anything. But God says, you're a son of the king. And you see, when my life begins to line up with what God says, things get a whole lot better. Let me illustrate what we're talking about today. Look at this picture of this train, all right? Here's the way I would put it to you today. The tracks are the truth. 
a train like this is our behavior lined up with the truth. All right? So God has laid the tracks. And when our behavior lines up with the tracks, great things happen. We go somewhere. But look at the next picture. When we get off the tracks, things are disastrous. When my life doesn't line up with what God has said, it does amazing damage. When the train is derailed, it's a mess everywhere. And so that's our challenge today. Is how do I line my life up with the truth? You see, guys, we look around us and we think the world has gone crazy. We look at families and their disintegration. We look at just the absolute lack of integrity where elected officials are able to lie and lie and lie and get away with it. We look at a lack of kindness and gentleness in our culture of any topic. We look at addictions run rampant because we're seeking to be foiled. We look at crime overtaking our cities. Guys, we should not be surprised when life does not align with the truth, everything is derailed. And guys, that's the culture we're living in. And that may be the life you're living in. Things aren't going right because you have not been able to stay on the tracks. You say, okay, but that, that's, that's nice and that makes a lot of sense. But here's the problem. Here's the really big problem. I cannot live a righteous life. I can't live up to the standard. So let's talk just for a few moments about how do we put on the righteousness of Christ? How do we put it on? How do we have this? You see, see the, the breastplate of righteousness was made of really heavy leather that was dried stiff with pieces of metal that would go down the front of it. So if something came, your most vital organs were protected. How do we put on this breastplate of righteousness? Because if, if you wake up with me this morning and understand this, guys, when you give yourself over to unrighteous behavior, it begins to affect your heart. My question for you today is, how is your heart? Is it soft? Is it pliable? Is it bitter? Is it angry? Or is your heart what God wants it to be? And the key is for us to put on this breastplate of righteousness. You go, but again, buddy, I feel like that's impossible for me. Let me give you three things that are going to help you here. First of all, you must claim Christ's righteousness. The only person who did live by the standard every moment, whose life was always on track, was Jesus Christ. And here's the good news of the Christian faith, is that Jesus is handing us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 sums up the gospel in one sentence. He who had no sin, became sin, so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. And that's where it all starts, when you claim his righteousness. It's like, let's say today I had, I had two books up here. I had a book, one book said, The Life and Times, for me it'd be, The Life and Times of Buddy Bell. Or The Life and Times, you know, of Sandy Luster. Got that book. And then on another book, I got The Life and Times of Jesus Christ. 
And he goes into detail about my life, about my choices, about my inner thoughts, about everything in my life. It's not a real completely pretty picture, right? And yours wouldn't be either. But Jesus is perfect. Because this what happened to the cross is he changed the covers. Jesus took your cover. Now, your life reads as if it's the life and times of Jesus Christ, not Sandy Luster, not Buddy Bell. It's that beautiful. And so we claim that because that is the beauty of baptism. When someone is baptized, what they're saying is, I can't live up to the standard. I can't work hard enough. I can't do enough to save myself. Well, what are you going to be saved by? I'm throwing myself on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what does Scripture say? When you do that, you are clothed with Christ. You've now taken upon His righteousness. And guys, this is the key to living a righteous life. You live it from the position of being righteous in Christ. You ever had someone who believed something about you good that you didn't even see in yourself? Yeah, you know, I can think of a, an old widow lady at church I grew up down in Capitol Heights who she believed I could be a preacher and she would every, you know, I was nine, ten years old, handed me a Bible and say, let's go talk to these people. Taking me somewhere and say, you lead prayer. Getting me up in church and saying, this is, she believed things about me I didn't believe and it determined the path of my life. And here's the truth about the righteousness of Christ is God sees you different than you see yourself. He believes that you are completely righteous because of Christ. And you live out of that righteousness. Because this is what Paul does in every book, including the book we're studying today. The first part of the book, Ephesians 1 through 3, is about who you are in Christ. That's the foundation. Chapter 4 through 6 are about what you need to do. See, a lot of us, our problem is we start with what we need to do before we first figure out who we are. So you must of all, first of all, clothe yourself, claim yourself in the righteousness of God. Second, you you must connect to the Spirit's power. If you want to live a righteous life, here's the truth, guys. You can't do it on your own. The Apostle Paul demonstrates this clearly in two of the great chapters of the Bible. Romans chapter 7. You remember that chapter where Paul says, I'm not who I ought to be. I I try to do this. The things I want to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, I end up doing. You ever feel that way? And by the end of chapter 7, he goes, what a wretched man I am. (laughs) On my own, my life is derailed and it's a mess. But then you get to chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's first of all, claiming the righteousness of Christ. We're not condemned because what Jesus had done. And then he begins to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit for us to overcome our sinful flesh and the unrighteousness in us. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. My friends, if you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit, here, what He does, He gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit that lives within you. My friends, you must connect with the Spirit. 
Because that's where the power is. How powerful is the Holy Spirit in you? It is, Paul says, the same Spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead. You see, what God says, if you want to become righteous, you can't become righteous from the outside in. It must come from the inside out. So I'm clothed in righteous, and then as a Christian, I'm asked, very simply, to stay in step with the Spirit. Because the Spirit's the one who can change me. You're going to be absolutely frustrated if you hear this lesson and you go, you know what, i got to turn things around because my heart is going hard. Oh, there, there's a danger signal, buddy, when you're talking about this. Because my heart is, it, it's not pliable and soft for God. It's not godly. You go, I'm, i, I got to go, i got to, no, you, you can't do it on your own. You've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Scripture says, even after you've become a Christian, as this transformation is taking place, stay in step with the Spirit. And that brings us to the third point. And this is very important. We must cooperate with the Spirit's work. Because just like when when you were saved and you came to Christ, Jesus did it all. He 100% saved you. Right? Jesus died for everybody. God wants everybody to be saved. Pretty plain in Scripture. But what was your part? There came a point where you chose him. Where he said, I can't do it, but I I can put my faith in him. And even after you become a Christian, in the process of what the Bible would call sanctification, salvation is when you're saved, sanctification is the process by which you become righteous, by which you become holy. God's going to do the work. He's the only one who can do the work. But just like at that point of salvation, you had to make a choice to follow him. When it comes to a righteous life, you've got to make a daily choice to keep in step with the Spirit. I mean, look at a passage that I think puts it well. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And listen to what Paul says here. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. This is a really interesting phrase here. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, you could really get messed up with that verse if you're not careful. Paul does not say work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation. That's what we're talking about today. We know the truth of who we are in Christ. And now righteousness is working that out in my daily life. So, he says work out your salvation. This is serious business, he says, with fear and trembling. And then he gives us the truth. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. What's he saying there? Is God has got the power and the spirit can transform you. But you must also be a part of this. You've got to cooperate on a daily basis. So God can work out that salvation. So, I want to protect my heart. Be the person God wants me to be. I want to keep my life on track. what I do. I claim Christ's righteousness. I stay connected with the Holy Spirit. And I cooperate with the Spirit's work. My friends, just like those people in, in Romans chapter 1. If you want to turn your back on God's truth. And you go, I, I know God said that. I know that's right. I know I'm living's not right. I'm making some bad choices. And if you want to say, you know what? I don't care. 
I, I'm, I'm just going to give myself over to it. God in the long run says, you got what you chose. But my friend, if you want a beautiful heart that's godly, that's soft, that's tender, then you must say, you know what, Jesus, not only did I follow you to waters of baptism, but I want to follow you every day. Now, let's go back to Ephesians for a moment, guys, and let's, let's look at how this looks practically, all right? Back, go to, back to chapter 4 with me, Ephesians chapter 4. And, and I'm going to read one set of verses that will tell you what life looks like off the tracks. And, and he's going to call, um, he's going to talk about Gentiles here. I'm going to change the word, give me a little permission here. I'm going to change the word Gentiles to Americans. And I, I think you'll get it. So I tell you this and insist on in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Americans do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over. They gave themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity in their full of greed. Is that a pretty good picture of what's happened to our culture? Trains derailed. But then, what does it look like to stay on track and to follow the Spirit? Look at verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You're lining your life up with the truth. And the incarnation of the truth is Jesus. You are taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see the contrast there? So how do I cooperate with the Spirit? I just got a moment to, to say I'm going to give you five things, and I want you to take these and choose one of them, all right? How, what does Paul say about walking with the Spirit, cooperating? First of all, you make sure that you're walking with Jesus. I was talking to a really wise young man in our youth group this week. He said to me, you know what? I've been trying to keep the rules, and I've not been very successful. What I want is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, when you begin to walk with Jesus, God does his work. Number two, when you meditate on truth, what is meditation? The best way I can illustrate meditation is this. Meditation is worrying in the right way. Anybody know what worry is? I mean, you get obsessed with something. You just cannot get it off your mind. And you think about it over and over again. God says, replace your worry with meditation on truth. That, that's, guys, why we have to feed ourselves constantly the Word of God. Because that's where we're going to hear the truth. problem with so many of us as Christians is we're more influenced by the way of the world than we are of Christ. Because that's what we meditate on. It's what we watch. It's what we listen to. Number three, check your attitude. Paul says that the Spirit has the power to renew, renew your mind. Watch your attitude. Number four, replace your desires. I mean, guys, there's commandments here of what we do. We are to put off certain things, and we are to put on other things. Listen to me. If you want to live a righteous life, don't just try to clean your life up, okay? 
It's not about just cleaning your life up. Because what happens if you only clean your life up, you're empty. Remember the story Jesus told about the seven demons who were swept out of the house or the one demon that was swept out of the house? House was made clean. Then later he brought six of his friends. Seven demons walked by the house. It's clean and it's empty. It looks good, but it's empty and they all move in. And Jesus says the worst day, the last day is worse than the first. Listen to me. If all you're trying to do is clean up your life, it's not going to work. You're going to have to put off some things, but you're going to have to put on other things. And then number five, just trust God's work. God's work of sanctification is to transform you into the likeness of Jesus. It will only be completed when you see Jesus face to face, but it is an ongoing work right now. So let me ask you as we conclude this morning, how is your heart? That's the issue. Because Scripture says, above all else, protect your heart. Seriously, just for a moment. How's your heart? Is it pure? Is it holy? Is it tender? Is it sensitive? Or has your heart become bitter? Things that used to bother you don't bother you? Calloused? Hardened? How's your heart? Maybe a better way to put it is we we, we know what truth is. Is by the power of God you're trained on the tracks. Or is your life derailed? You know, I mean, you're, 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 you're keeping it together and you're showing up, but all around you is destruction and damage. Now, here's what we're going to do. Pay real close attention to what I'm about to say. As the worship team comes up here, we're about to take communion together. And we're also, after we take communion, this front row is going to be open. And let me say this. You say, buddy... Um, Man, my heart is, my life has never been on track, if I can be honest. Smart, smart statement. And today might be the day that you, no, it is the day that you need to be baptized. It's where you finally figure out you cannot do it on your own, and your life is a wreck without Jesus, and you want to follow him. And you start off, and you are clothed in his perfection. So you may want to, to show up here to be baptized. On the other part, many of us who follow Jesus, and yet really we've not stayed on track. We've not, we've not been living out the truth. Unrighteousness is around us. And the sad thing is it's affecting our hearts because that's what unrighteousness does. And let me beg you, before your heart gets really hard, repent. And this morning, if your life's off track, then, then meet me here up here in this front row. And before we leave this place, we will pray for you. The first step is to be honest about it. But let me say this. The real first step is to remember who you are in Christ. So that's why we're first going to take communion. As communion is that weekly moment where we remember what Jesus has done for us. 
When we remember who we are, we are redeemed, we are saved, we are clothed in the righteousness of God. Communion is a powerful moment. But it's not meant just to be this moment. It's meant to be something that empowers you, knowing who you are and what Christ has done for you. No longer letting Satan label you or other people label you or even you label yourself. You walk from that table knowing that I'm living in the righteousness of God. And then, based on that and who you are, you live in a way to keep the train on the tracks. And so today we're going to start with communion, and then we're going to respond. If you need to meet me on this front row to be baptized, or you need to meet me on this front row for us to pray about your life getting back on track, If today, honestly, you're frightened about your heart because it's getting hard. And and God would say, that's the most dangerous place you could be, a hard heart. Above all else, guard your heart. So this morning, as we take communion, as we respond, let's give ourselves a chance to pray for each other. Let's all begin singing and partaking.